0: Daniel it. welcome back to the podcast oh, I'm excited to be here I'm actually feeling good I'm on a roller coaster that only goes up baby <laughs> that's great That's wonderful I'm I'm kind of tired today actually y-
1: you know I usually sleep so soundly and like I don't dream and it's just my head hits the pillow and I'm out and then the next thing you know it's morning uh but for like the last three days, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, I've I've been waking up like two or three times during the night, and I've been having dreams. Not anything. They're not even like nightmares or anything really striking. Just you know, I'll kind of wake up and remember some scenes or images, and be like, "Wow, that's weird. I dreamed hmm. something," and then eventually fall back
0: asleep. Uh, that's that's curious to me because you're well i know you well and you're not a dreamer and you're like you said you're you sleep so well. i've always envied the fact that you are very scheduled you go to sleep soundly and you're not the kind of person to say you're tired in fact I, i'm the kind of person on any given moment if i give you an honest assessment of how tired i am it's it's pretty freaking tired would be the answer mm-hmm. and so um it's interesting that kind of the roles are reversed here yeah. i uh, the whole my interest in dreams varies. If I if I don't like the person and they start telling me about their dreams, I find I find it yeah. especially painful. Uh, yeah. But 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 people I do like, or at least people that are uh, you know natural born storytellers, I guess, or or if they're narrative based, I do find it fascinating. Uh, what do you recall from your dreams? Um, n- not much. It, it, it's so strange how memory
1: and dreams works because you have, you have the dream. And even if it's something that you think oh, I should remember this, then you do kind of remember it while you're lying there. And even if you wake up later, you still remember it. And for me, even if I, you know, it's morning time, I wake up and I take a shower and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, man, I dream this thing. And then, you know, you get out of the shower and then like, as soon as I start my day, then I don't remember the dream anymore. But I can remember it for like while I'm still in my morning routine. Um, so I, uh, I don't I don't remember anything of significance. Like I said, there was nothing there's nothing really striking about this dream, like some of the others that I've, you know, rarely had before. Right. These were pretty boring. Um, like I don't I don't really remember anything
0: special it's just it's hard for me like dreams are very mysterious and we read into it and we psychoanalyze and we do different things but honestly our dreams what's the difference between dream and like just some sort of impression your brain gives you is it not conceivable that you could just have an impression of a good morning or a good like let's just say that you dreamed of a good morning um, or you dream, or you dreamed of a of a a man chasing you. How about that? Um, okay. you dream. You have a nightmare or a dream of a man chasing you. The um, dream. The dream is. What's the difference between just a kind of a detailed impression? Like, couldn't you? Your brain can conceptualize being chased, the knife, the shine of the blade against some like night lights in the room or, or in the city or wherever you're at, all of that can happen in an instant. So can dreams happen in an instant or, or do you actually need time for them to unfold? Like does running down a hallway actually have to take place or do you just have to th- think it and it's instantaneous? Do you, am I making yeah, oh sense?
1: Yeah. No, that makes sense. I watched the documentary on this once. Um, and time can vary a lot in a dream. Like in this particular documentary, um, like you could actually have a dream within a dream, and then you could even have a dream within that dream, and then beyond that, there was some strange world where everything was being destroyed or something.
0: I think you're thinking of Memento. Oh, uh, uh, dang! It. It's you know you're right. You know yeah. you're right about that. <laughs> I was thinking about something else. That's that's not that's a it's a it's a movie. It's an action For, movie. Sorry sorry Lamento. my mistake yeah.
1: yeah um but i do i but to your question um i don't really know the answer to that i would susp i would suspect that well you know i guess if dreams could happen in an instant and you dream at multiple points during the night for for you know multiple minutes i don't maybe hours during the night Then it would seem like you would have tons of memories of your dreams, right? If if an impression of a dream only took an instant, and you're obviously asleep for multiple hours, then you would think you would have all of these impressions built up in your head. Well,
0: yeah, essentially you could live a lifetime. You could wake up and exhausted, and or not exhausted, but feeling (laughs) like a lifetime had passed. Or you could live a life worth of dreams if you only had to feel it, right? So
1: I tend to think that. that that dreams are either you know pretty close to real time or even just slower you know they just come in like sporadic visions and things like that like well, well that's
0: I suspect they're far less complete than we than we then feel that they are
1: Oh sure well i mean what does a complete dream even look well, yeah, like you i don't, I don't you know? know what i'm saying well that's the thing a like even dream. even when you're awake your perception is narrow you know you can't see behind you and, and you can't smell what's in your bedroom you know unless you're in your bedroom but <laughs> like your perceptions are are finely tuned and narrow when you're in a dream you don't even have the benefit of your actual senses it's only what is kind of actively on your mind i guess uh and so like like if you were thinking, if you were dreaming about the man chasing you, then you may be narrowly focused in the dream on, you know, the the feel of the ground under your feet or the the sound of the guy behind you. And while while you're hearing the sound of the guy behind you, the vision of the night may just be gone from your perception. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, well, I don't know. And again, I don't dream very often, uh, and so I guess I don't. Have a whole lot to pull from. I mean, I've had plenty of dreams before, but, um, like in terms of, well, it's just that you, you know they say uh, tips for lucid dreaming. Um, for a while, I was really interested in in lucid dreaming, and so I actually tried to. They they say that there are steps you can take to develop lucid dreaming ability. One can you give is, a two second spiel on what lucid dreaming is? Uh, lucid dreaming is essentially. The ability to maintain some small level of consciousness when you're dreaming so that you can direct yourself in the dream. So rather than having the dream just play out and happen to you in the dream, uh, the guy chasing you, you could, you could be in the dream the guy would chase you and you could stop and turn around and then go, oh, I'm just going to fly off. And, so, you know, and you're out.
0: aware you're in the dream or yeah, you just have yeah, yeah, almighty that's, power? Okay. You're aware.
1: Um, that's, that's the thing. You're lucid. You're clear-headed, and you know you're in the dream, and you can continue to mess about in the dream anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. Have you ever had this experience?
0: Uh, I have actually, um, okay. and I've been interested too. I was, you know, kind of silly for me to ask for clarification, but I thought it would be nice. Well, no, um, that's
1: good. Yes. So, in case anyone doesn't know what it is, uh, in, in case we have any stupid people out there,
0: yeah, I don't. Then... I'd rather if you didn't know what a lucid dream is, stop listening to the podcast. I'm not interested. <laughs> that's not no true. Uh, i've actually yeah that's not true um i i've had several or there or, or frequently if i'm having a nightmare and it gets just too scary there's something it's almost like beyond my suspension of disbelief or whatever mm. and it violates something and i go this can't be real it's too awful um the the intensity is just too much and then i can will myself awake it's this strange like straining to open my eyes in the dream and then i end up opening my eyes in real life it's a very bizarre uh feeling actually i can i can, I can what i have to do is i have to open my eyes with my hands and so lifting my arms all of a sudden becomes incredibly heavy and it's almost like i'm, I'm accessing that my body my in real life that has that sort of sleep paralysis state mm-hmm. and it's super hard to do but i managed to do it and open my own eyes and that's a I imagine it would be strange if you had a recording of <laughs> to me. watch you, yeah, yeah, I would not that would but be but I've not had many I've had a few dreams where i'm i'm like oh i'm 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 in a dream and then I get on a chair and I jump off to fly, and then i I don't fly, and that really ticks me off and I, I wonder if that's some sort of impediment to like creativity or what but but it seems sad that in my own dreams and I realize it's a dream and I try to fly, I'll like fall, and that's that seems <laughs> metaphorical in a dark way probably
1: is no. um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I know I've had the experience of a lucid dream, but it's been years and years, um, so I don't even remember what it was like now. Um, but but anyway, uh, they they say that there are steps you can take to develop the ability to lucid dream. and One of the steps is to keep a dream journal. Uh, pay attention; it trains you to be conscious of your dreams and and remember them. Uh, and then the next one is to and. and that was that sounded interesting to me, and so I did that for a while. This was years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I kept a little notepad next to my bed, and whenever I would have a dream, I would I would be really excited. In you know, as I'm dreaming and re- kind of recognizing it or coming out of the dream, I would be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I just had a dream! Oh, awesome! I can write it down." And then I would wake myself up and write down the dream in this little uh in this little dream journal. Um, yeah. And that was fun, uh, and the dreams were, were interesting. And you do find that when you do that, you tend to dream more, or at least maybe the dreams just wake you up more, because that's on your mind as a task. Anyway, the the next step for lucid dreaming is to develop a habit. Um, a, a habit in real, li- in real life, like draw a dot on your hand with a Sharpie marker or something, and just make a habit to continuously... Just look for the dot on your hand. Uh, just some kind of visual tick or something like that and just develop that so that you have a habit of doing that. And then that way... What's in, the
0: reasoning? Yeah, what's the reasoning? That way, that?
1: in the dream, if you if you look for the visual thing and it's not there, then you know you're
0: dreaming. But, well, I, I guess I sort of understand that, but obviously if you, you could manufacture that in your dream, your brain could obviously right. has the capacity to create a dot. And right. And if you feel like you know it you right know. well th- this is where i fell off
1: the the lucid dreaming um scheme i guess the lucid dream scheme uh <laughs> because i thought it was silly and like i wasn't gonna draw a dot on myself and just look at it like habitually and i also had the same thought that was as too you, much that... for
0: you you're like i'm not crazy i'm not gonna I'm draw not a crazy. tiny dot you... on myself that's too kidding? much to ask
1: <laughs> Well, and, and I, I thought that like, this is stupid. If I habituate myself to having a dot on my hand, then when I'm in the dream, I'm just going to have the same freaking dot on my hand. Like I have a hand, you know, I'm habituated to having a hand and lo and behold, I have hands in my dream. So like that, I don't know. I I couldn't, I, I just don't really buy that step. Maybe it works for some people. Maybe, maybe there's some more nuance to it that I don't know, but in any event, I didn't I didn't proceed too much further down that uh, down that path, and I went back to my uh, state of rarely dreaming.
0: <laughs> um, I can tell you that in my dreams, and I, I think I read this somewhere first too. Like when I start to become suspicious that I'm in a dream, whether it's awful or great, or for whatever reason I'm suspicious, I uh, I was told to like look somewhere or look at something like a clock or or something yeah. detailed look away and then look back and see if it's exactly the same and what I the pattern i've picked up on i guess i've had near lucid dreams very frequently but not fully lucid the mm. pattern that i recognized is that i would look away and look back and and then i really couldn't tell if it was different and the fact that it would like like I couldn't remember what I just looked away and looked back at. And that was when I would go, wait, if I can't remember it well, then I know I'm dreaming because in real life I would be able to look away and look back at something and completely remember it. And so that was that was sort of oddly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that uh, I think you're asked to do is just mentally take note while you're awake and just make a note and say, I am awake, and then think, Actually, question yourself: Like, am I actually awake? So obviously, if I'm doing that question right now, and I'm saying, "Am I actually awake?" The answer is a resounding yes. Um, in a dream, it's you, you have you you form a habit of going, "I am awake," and then you have to stop yourself and go, oh, "Since I'm doing that, let me ask if I'm really awake." And if you're able to do that in a dream, I mean, then you can come to an answer of, "Well, I'm 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 not really sure." Wait, what? And if you're not sure, the answer is almost certainly. I'm dreaming, or at least right. hopefully. It'd be weird if you weren't sure in <laughs> real life. That would be unsettling, honestly. Yeah. Um, and that's and, and similar, by the way, to I've found mindfulness. I've been doing that a lot lately. I'd like to update you at some other time. It doesn't need to be a topic of discussion. But mindfulness is, in some simple ways, simply going, I am here, I am now, I am awake. And I've wondered if that habit of mind and telling yourself that could lead to more lucid dreaming and i'd like to see if there's any correlation between the two Hmm. maybe i mean that makes sense and and
1: now that i think about it that's probably what the whole drawing a dot on your hand is for is so that you know you look at it and and in real life you're you're looking at it and thinking oh i'm awake and you know here's the dot and it's kind it's probably a shortcut to doing just that
0: yeah that makes sense I mean, and, and mindfulness, the whole idea of mindfulness, is not like hippie guru, strange stuff. It's, it's simply saying, okay, uh, maybe in a moment of anger or emotion or feeling overwhelmed saying, okay, um, let me collect myself. Let me understand that. And you never want to be a slave to your emotions, right? Like you, I'm a daydreamer, which can, if you think about it, you're a slave to whatever thought enters your head and you just go off down that path. And and the whole art of mindfulness is saying, uh, I want to be aware that I'm going down that path and I want to choose to go down that path or not. And so it's just, it's really actually becoming more uh, cognizant of like what's entering in your mind and how it's making you feel and choosing to engage or choosing to say, huh, and let that kind of thought go. Um, and then in that way, you I mean, to be that aware, I think you would just have lots of lucid dreams. I think anytime you're dreaming, you could just say, oh, well, let me stop it. And then I think if you had the ultimate lucid dream, you can world build, right? You could you could not only fly wherever you're at, but you could just go. You could conjure a mountain or you could go to Hawaii or whatever. I don't know. I imagine you could do whatever you want. Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess when you're being mindful, you just kind of like, you sit in a quiet space and kind of close your eyes and reposition your uh, yoni egg and then <laughs> di- say, you know, I'm awake, I'm awake, my mind is here. And then, then you're like, a, all right, well, It's breathing
0: exercises. Yeah, actually, I mean, I subscribe to Calm.com and like I do, I've been doing a 10 minute exercise almost daily. Um, and and it's it's a coached 10 minute exercise and which you uh, they coach you to pay attention to your breathing and 10 minutes is a long time to sit there oh, yeah. and like feel your body feel the breath it's interesting when they they start saying note at the point between inhale and exhale and I want you like like imagine the breath going in where does it stop and where does it collect and where does it and and you really start feeling feeling like it's a very physical thing it's i always thought it was going to be some religious spiritual thing but it is a deeply physical thing that i guess it's sort of a mind body thing because afterward i will admit that you know it it quiets it's 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 having control over um the your thoughts as if it's a knob so when you gets too hectic i can quiet that right. or at least that's well, the idea i'm not actually well, yeah. good i mean it, it
1: seems to so. me it seems to me that you know uh there's especially if you're a very busy person with with and your day is just always full you have mm-hmm. a lot of things on your to-do lists and tasks to accomplish and chores potentially piling up it is very useful to be able to set aside a small amount of time and just relax, you know, and, and it's hard for people to, to do that sometimes. And so, you know, I guess if you have to tell someone, think about your breathing, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's a good way to focus your mind on, on something that's not all of these crazy things that you have to do around you. Um, As far as, well, like, well, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is just my, in thinking about it, like imagining your breathing and paying attention to you know your heartbeat or the feel of the air around you or the floor underneath you or whatever doesn't seem all that valuable to me like if i were going to try to decide try to figure out what's valuable about mindfulness a 10 minute meditation or something like that it would be you know pausing and and removing yourself from the hecticness of the day and thinking thinking about yourself you know, while you're taking a step back and looking at what's going on. Um, so kind of pausing and looking at the big picture of your life, or at least the bigger picture of what's going on around you at the moment. Um, and just kind of living in the present for a bit and just kind of summing up, all right, this is where I am right now. Um, kind of, almost like a like a planning for yourself in a way, uh, rather than, you know, thinking about your breathing. I mean, I'm sure that can be valuable too, just to give you a pause from the, the hecticness but
0: well i think you're totally right about the present it's just that if you start planning about the future which is what we're so coached to do and i think inevitably if you start reflecting on like how did that interview go or how did that my performance during whatever right right right, go, that, and that's and,
1: what you're trying to get away from yeah the but, daydreams but it's important that you
0: inevitably do but it's important so.
1: to to take a step back from yourself and recognize like oh, i'm really stressed right now or you mm-hmm. know um you know, this. all of this hecticness makes me feel overwhelmed or whatever. Or, you know, I really enjoy uh, the temperature right now. I really like the way things feel at the moment. You know, it just makes
0: you more mindful of what's going on
1: right right then. It's basically forced self-analysis in a way.
0: That's. It's funny you say that because, um, at least from what I'm doing currently, it's actually to temporarily reject analysis for instance she'll say something like if you feel an itch on your well she won't say on your nose but if you feel uncomfortable if you feel an itch why won't n- you say on your nose well because then it'll make an itch on your nose kind of thing you know if uh. you just suggest like doesn't your back ache you're more likely to be thinking about your back she's not trying to steer your thoughts in that direction but if so you she's an-
1: steering your thoughts on you're on itching, breathing or yeah well yeah your you're right you're right oh uh, now you're aware of your tongue's position in it's in your mouth she's even said things, that kind of stuff you know?
0: yeah um but like to note it um uh, and to and, and the same with like note your emotional state wh- that whether it's angry or uh, stressed or happy or whatever but don't don't engage it and don't judge it and then imagine, you know, it's some cheesy stuff, like imagine it in a bubble and then send it away. Like, like they just try and send it away. Try and mute the external thought and get really physical. And I don't think the job is to, you'll never be able to turn the volume down completely, nor would you want to. It's just to create a space after this sort of meditative state that then you are fully engaged and ready to... Um, engage in whatever like like what you were saying like all right now what do i want to do because what she does at the end of the meditative it's a 10 minute meditation but the last two minutes she gives a daily i'll just say like a life lesson and i've noticed that after the breathing exercises after being very physically present um i'm very center i hate these words um i'm, ve- I'm i am in a good place to listen I was gonna say centered, and you know these sort of buzzwords, but I am I am in a place that is very susceptible to listening to a, a simple truth about brainwashing. The <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, you're susceptible. Well, because you've been quiet and in a very noisy. I think the assumption of it sounds of,
1: kind of like uh, hypnotism techniques.
0: Oh, I think it is. I think it's a lot of that. I think you. I think the assumption about meditation or mindfulness or whatever is that we have a very noisy world, uh, both actually and and metaphorically, Mm -hmm. um, and that it's, it's, let's quiet that and let's get into a space where we're then intentionally engaging in whatever it is we want to, instead of just being uh, overwhelmed or distracted or pulled in one direction by the noise. And so what you're actually talking about First of all, if if your life isn't particularly noisy, then you're you're kind of living mindfully. I mean, that's the goal. It's not just to do it in these moments, but to extend it and that your whole life is very present and very engaged um, meaningfully and purposefully. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's, and you might be in a position, truthfully, I'm not saying this sarcastically, in which if your life isn't super noisy and it's... Um, reasonably orderly that you meditation would only give you minimal benefits but if like me I'm kind of a high strong person with some anxiety and a lot of noise and a lot of I mean being a teacher I'm pulled in a billion different directions by a lot of different people and this makes me slow down intentionally I do it during one of my planning periods at the beginning before I grade before I put it at the beginning and it's uh, it's brought on uh, peacefulness I guess that's that's the word i keep going to is peacefulness mm-hmm. so and it's not again it's i am i guess i'm sa- saying all these hippie things and then saying, but it's not hippie like maybe it is hippie like i don't know, but i'm intentionally engaging my thoughts more often or i'm noting oh i'm daydreaming about this or oh i'm 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 better able to say. I'm not going to engage this negative thing right now, or I'm going to table it because it's not the best thing to do right now. And I'm able to quiet that better than I was before engaging in this habit.
1: Well, I do think that's a good thing to be able to develop. Um, Well, because negative thoughts, negative emotion particularly, can be really intrusive. And to develop the ability to say, nah, I'm not going to do that right now, and just put it aside is pretty powerful.
0: Oh, very powerful. I don't think most people can, so... I, don't, I have not been very good at it, so I'm starting to get better.
1: Hmm. I have something uh, that I think we should talk about. We haven't talked about yet on the podcast, and it's something that's pretty important to us.
0: Cool. Let's hear it. What is it? What is it? It's B-movies. <laughs> B-movies! Yeah. yeah. One of
1: our favorite things. I love B-movies. I would say it's probably what defines our friendship. I mean, I probably like B-movies more than our friendship.
0: Well, I think our B-movies and our friendship are inextricably intertwined to say you like one more than the other. Like, one is the other. You remove B-movies, you remove the friendship, for sure. Yeah,
1: but if I remove you, then I still have (laughs) B-movies.
0: Well, touche. You you got me there. I don't know what—I don't have a witty retort to that. Dang it. So, why um,
1: don't—let's see. First off, why why don't—what is a B-movie? Like what what do you what is our definition of a B movie? Okay,
0: well, I think traditionally people think of B movies as these lower budget, um, corny, campy, silly, don't take themselves too seriously movies um, that have uh, are loaded with charm, and I would say that our our you and me we've carved out a very specific definition of B movies that does overlap that it tends to be lower budget and it tends to be a lot of things like i just detailed but and we've said this before i think this is the most succinct way to put it uh direct it has to be sincere number one so director and crew and actors and everyone involved is trying to achieve x um and then the finished product produces y it is not X, it is Y. So the distance between X and Y, what they intended to achieve and what they actually achieved, um, is hilarious. And so the humor gap, the gap in between what they were going for and what they got. So in that respect, I think you can get bigger budget movies or uh, recognizable actors um, and things like that. Is that fair to say? Oh
1: yeah, no. That's a, I think you put it really well. Because... You know i guess the the technical definition of a b movie is you know a a movie made by you know like the B team you know it's not the top listed actors and directors and all of this stuff It's a lower budget kind of uh movie that you know it's just not not as high quality i guess you know you don't you don't spend a whole bunch of money to get the the most popular actors and everything yeah, um, yeah. but but that's not necessarily i mean our shelf of b movies has you know, some Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and some, like, a uh, uh, Bruce Willis movie. And we recently Cage. watched... A, yeah, Nicolas Cage. And we recent, recently watched the Brad Pitt movie, although yeah. it was
0: a really old one. It was good. It was his first was film, good? I think, or his first appearance. Was it? It was, it was a pretty know. early. It was, it was pretty early. Young, so. What was
1: that one? Cutting Class, right? Cutting Class, called? yes, Cutting it class. was.
0: It was pretty good. It was way more well, entertaining than I thought.
1: So, um, So, what... You already described a little bit with your strangely mathematical distance between X and Y uh, thing, uh, what makes a B-movie funny. I, I definitely think that the, uh, I mean, there's no other way to put it. The failure of the movie is what makes it funny to us a lot of times. Like when when they try really hard to make a serious moment or, or a dramatic movie and it just comes out being really corny or campy, that's hilarious. Um, even
0: even but, though we say that we enjoy a lot of uh, B movie or '80s horror genre, um, mm-hmm. but I, I want to describe like a movie that would be considered a B movie that we don't like, like Thanksgiving, and you don't have to see it to understand everything you need to know by the title Thanks Killing, and I think it's <laughs> right. a turkey that went around killing, um, and it's a puppet based thing, and it says cheesy lines and puns and whatever. Um, that's it. Yeah. N- it's self aware. Uh, and it's confusing, though, because it can be low-budget, and we love one-liners. We're a sucker for great one-liners. That's true. But but it's insincere, and it can hide behind this mask of irony and claim, well, we knew we we were going for that effect. And if you actually achieved, you've blurred the lines between what you were going for and what you actually achieved. If you can just hide behind saying, oh, well, that's what we meant, by making a comedy horror or something, so... Right. Um, and that's
1: that's really evident like a, another one that's one of our favorites is uh, Birdemic. That one's really good. Right. Because it, it seems sincere. It has this strange environmental message kind of interjected into it and the <laughs> the special effects are terrible and uh so that's Birdemic. But then actually years later they made a sequel Birdemic 2 and that one, well, they made it to cash in on the campiness of the first one and it's apparent that that's their goal, and so right. it's not not nearly as enjoyable.
0: They had gotten feedback, understood the bass, and made something terrible on purpose. So like, it had been criticized for just... It was inept on every level, including... And this is so enjoyable when it's sincere, um, holding like a can in one hand, and it changes shots in the cans in the other. So they right. loaded up the second one with stuff like that. But it's kind of like... Uh, I mean, physical humor slapstick humor is funny when it really happens as long as someone's not hurt i mean i can think i mean physical humor is is hilarious but Mm. having someone get a pie in the face on tv i mean why why is scheduling and producing an intentional slip and fall like how is that possibly funny in fact to me that's almost devoid of humor having trying to get a laugh by going whoa whoa, whoa, whoa," and falling like that is that is lowbrow humor at its at its worst
1: but then like in this really strange twist if we are watching a serious like a sincere movie that tries to be funny by doing something like that with maybe a goofy sound effect along with it then (laughs) that makes us laugh
0: right well because it yeah, it almost breaks through the other end of... Uh, well, like, going, I mean,
1: take take, take another one of our favorites, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which isn't a, a low-budget movie. Right. And, I mean, the special effects, I mean, although you know, dated by today's standards, they weren't cheap. And, like, but there were some goofy things in that movie, you know? Right. Uh, really goofy and campy and, like...
0: You know, we've uh, thought about that one quite a bit because it has campy one liners, campy everything, and it has it's loaded with charm and, and basically a s uh, a lot of B movie lovers and us would, would love it and I guess we love it for the same reasons. Um and then even people that don't like B movies just enjoy a romp of a good time at the movies. It's a popcorn <laughs> eaten. Edge of your seat action movie i don't know it but it's just so funny because well it's, it's but oh, it's, it's so we, it's weird too though right like it's not just goofy
1: like like they bizarre, try to build definitely. this world and like some of the lines and dialogue and stuff they aren't like they try they sincerely try to make an an interesting it's bit of lore and, and plot. yes yeah and like all these masters of the underworld, or whatever, and like, and the different gangs, and man, like I don't and know. So it it's...
0: miss it misses, and I do think we get a rich. That's that's why we enjoy it to this day. I think is is because it missed the mark. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, man, what a great movie. So some of the other things. I mean, I guess that that's probably the most important thing that makes a B movie funny is the the the, the failure um, but but I mean there's some other common things that are just genuinely enjoyable Bad dialogue, bad special effects, uh nonsensical plot points, all of those things are pretty consistently funny in our B movie watching.
0: When you say bad dialogue, too, I I distinctly, whenever, whether it's poorly delivered, like you can imagine the actor practicing in front of the mirror, I enjoy that. Or when the the give and take is so unnatural because humans simply don't interact that way, Mm -hmm. but yet it's very clearly driving at moving the plot forward. And so that that sort of unfold that that mechanical ham-fisted forcing of dialogue to move the plot forward is just it. It's really it's fun and um, it's funny as a, a literature teacher. We we you and I watch these train wrecks of narratives <laughs> essentially, right. and I think in some ways that helps me refine my like it gives us a refined sense of what is good because you have to start with. You know, it's like when I when I teach my kids how to ask good questions, one of the first exercises I give them is play the role of a terrible teacher giving a really unfair quiz. So they craft all these they like to say, All right, well what's the third word on page sixty six? And they start laughing. And then I ask a serious question, all right, why was that a bad question? And they say, Well, because it's no it's not reasonable, it's not important, it's not and then I say, "Well, what would a good question look like?" And then we yeah. have that conversation. So the the point is, we, seeing these terrible train wreck narratives unfold gives us actually a better sense of what it, a good movie is. So so really, we're refining our taste. Essentially, we are connoisseurs of film. So, are
1: you going to try to teach the room next year?
0: <laughs> so I'm going to teach the room next year. It's on the it's on the docket. You could um, have
1: you could have a joint literature and you know like science class in there for all the sex scenes like <laughs> kind of serve dual science. purposes
0: you just show sex scenes and call it science
1: <laughs> yeah what <laughs> like biology and well i mean army. yeah I
0: they have bodies and there is sex in gets, nature <laughs> science in <and> nature <laughs> oh man I'll can you imagine it. though if i taught the room and just had to edit out the sex scenes like oh let me fast forward here for a second just just give me a minute just give me another minute (laughs) you'd have to start off
1: with 20 minutes of fast forwarding
0: yeah isn't isn't
1: that what it is aren't aren't there three or four sex scenes in the first Um, like with all the repeated minutes
0: and the repeated footage and the strange angles and And Tommy
1: uh, Wiseau's walnut looking uh, like everything <laughs> yeah He's yeah so strange
0: and, and it really idolizes the camera is clearly angled to idolize him instead of the woman and so it just feels deeply unsettling and and that's actually i mean you and i've debated what is the king of the b movies and for various reasons we say you know the room and troll too uh the mm-hmm. room being uh his perception of how tommy was perception of how humanity behaves, and, and so he, he bears his soul, essentially, in this film, this sort of semi-autobiographical tell-all about how he feels, and it's, I mean... Wow, well, magnificent. <laughs> it's so good.
1: I mean, like that's probably our most watched B movie. Uh I mean, we've watched that one more than any other ones.
0: I mean, it uh, resonates with so many people. I mean, James Franco saw true. it and said I I and being in his position, he's like, "Well, I I obviously have to play Tommy Wiseau in a, <laughs> in a in a in a in the Disaster Artist is a great movie and I hope it just spreads the the infamy of the movie and solidifies room, yeah. it of the room for forever.
1: Man, I would love to see uh, The Room too.
0: Oh, but, uh, but I mean, that's that's the fear we have of like a Birdemic 2 situation where know, Tommy Wosso gets sort of gets it. He's been told so many times, even if he's incapable of grasping it, if he's inca- incapable of internalizing it intellectually, um, or at least emotionally he's incapable of internalizing it, but I think intellectually he's just heard it enough to go, okay, well, there's something something strange going on a lot of people didn't understand my movie and i can still capitalize by calling it a dark comedy because that's what the the, uh, mm-hmm. the poster and the marketing turned toward a dark comedy like oh my <laughs> a, god what a, joke. a black comedy yeah right? a black comedy what they that's said it? yeah yeah <laughs> ridiculous yeah.
1: yeah so i no, i tend to think the room two is impossible but but i don't know like well, you know they recently made uh, "Best Friends." Now it's not directed by Tommy Wiseau; he's just co-stars with um, with uh, the other guy from Greg the uh, Greg Greg Sostero, That's his name. Okay, yeah. And uh, actually, I think that was supposed to have come out last some at some point in twenty eighteen.
0: Uh, well, we ought to buy we need it. We to, ought to look for it at that store to um, near me. I, I actually I'm yeah. not
1: sure if it's releasing on. I don't know. Well, I'll have to look into it cuz I think the last time I checked they were splitting it into two parts or something weird. Oh my gosh.
0: Know. Like a like a 4-hour film that they put I don't in know. part one and two. Oh my I'm, gosh. I'm not sure. I really want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward
1: to it. But I think if, you know, that's not going to be the room 2, uh, it's, it's not directed by him. Um, but I think the only way we would get something like that is if Tommy was so, you know, late now that he's seasoned Hollywood veteran of multiple movies. Um thinks you know what now i have the experience now i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna Gosh. do it again i'm gonna really make except this time i'll get it right and, and it's you know. a spiritual successor to the room oh. you know maybe it's not limited to just the, the room but you know they there it's a different setting but kind of a s- similar themes and stuff of betrayal and and, and <laughs> i love deeply, and, deeply
0: crave all of that <laughs> and doggy petting Doggy petting and and in chickens. Okay, so man. for those who are kind of tuning out and don't really know what the hell we're talking about, how would Bennett? How would you describe Tommy Wiseau, and why is he worthy of so much praise and adoration?
1: Well. Uh,
0: I mean, there's... this is his biography. Hell, where did he come from? What's, what? What? How did he? What's his claim to fame?
1: We don't know. <laughs> we don't know where he came from. His claim to fame. Uh, he's some. He's not American. He has some lingering oh, he's from Louisiana, strange... isn't he? Is that what he
0: claims. I think he Have claims is from. Lu- I think so. Which is absurd because a clear German European accent. Yeah, Eastern European or, or something. Something or almost weird. A stutter or stroke. Or, yeah, stroke. Like it's not know. his impediment or there's something going on that is not it's atypical at at best.
1: He has very noticeable and distinct speech patterns. He he looks pretty distinct as well. His style is what well, is just like very I mean, it's as if he's a foreigner and he doesn't quite grasp the the subtlety of normal the, the way people normally dress, speak, behave, interact, all of that is just a little bit off. A foreigner uh, and that so
0: loves America. Idea- loves American loves ideas. Hollywood,
1: loves America, all of that. Like, it's almost as if he's not a human at all. He's just been observing humans and just is a big fanboy of humanity and decided to come down and be one of us for a while. <laughs> uh, I mean,
0: that makes too much sense. It really does.
1: Well, because, like, if you ever see him, then, like, his style is, like, he like wears a, a, a sport coat. But then, like big old dark sunglasses and he has long hair like long hair past his shoulders and it's like wavy and kind of greasy and <laughs> like he, he looks he looks old but not like it's, he's just got a very strange look
0: he's bothersome him. honestly he's very unappealing to look at i mean obviously we we now love him and so we of see course him and i mean we're charmed by it but but I, I, there is something unsettling about the the vibe he gives off. He, he he doesn't look natural, which also speaks to him being an alien. Like his body mm-hmm. literally does not. I mean, I don't want to get mean spirited or anything, but I mean, his behavior, his presumed intellectual capacity, his his dress, his bo- his physical body. It's all um. It's strange. It's so strange
1: and wonderful and beautiful at the same <laughs> yes. time. It's, well, it's and,
0: captivated us all gosh.
1: And, and so like he he got a lot of money in some way selling jackets. I That's think
0: the kind of rumor it? like he sold some sort of like South Korean leather jackets and he made a couple million and I, but it's all you can't you can only find like a line here or there only through yeah. IMDB or just strange things like that. you can't verify this stuff yeah so he he
1: somehow got enough money to uh to to foot the bill for his own movie um after hollywood wouldn't take uh wouldn't wouldn't take it and so he made the room and he uh was the director writer producer and lead actor um which is wonderful
0: all b-movies should be that way and he bought the wrong movie or the wrong, um, uh, cameras. He bought two of them, one HD, HD and, and one with the millimeter 30, whatever the millimeter measurement is that way they don't. And it was going to write a, millimeter, hundred millimeter, 100 hundred thousand, mill- thousand millimeter, thousand millimeter,
1: one meter film. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take a box I'll, of your finest meter film. please. <laughs> How many of
0: those millimeters we need? Um, no but he I mean he just clearly and he bought them instead of renting just a lot of unbelievable and that's the right word there. hard difficult to believe impossible to believe any any films and and the people the actors he hired were generally miserable and the whole thing was a big self-serving narcissistic exercise and it's just glorious if you haven't seen it run out and see it I, oh, just glorious
1: now, as much credit as we give to the room, like I, I have to say that Troll Two has a special place in my heart. Like I, I can never, I can never conclusively say that the room is better than Troll Two. I just can't get there.
0: Like I love Troll Two so much. Uh, you know, yeah. You're. I mean, you're right. It's not. If push comes to shove, I guess I'm giving it to the room. But honestly. Desert Island movie. I can only bring one of those two. I think Troll Two is more right. rewatchable. Um, yeah. I mean, there's more a cultural significance. I'd say to the room, at least by my estimation. But whereas Tommy Wiseau is the king of everything we love about B movies, the there's an ensemble cast in Troll Two that is just you can you can watch it for character A and then B and then C and just you know look right. at the, through the lens of celebrating each unique person and poor acting and bad dialogue and it just has well, all of it
1: Yeah, it has it all that's that's kind of what i like about troll 2 because the room you know it's a it's a we'll call it a contemporary setting i mean it's it was made in what 2003 i think
0: yeah something like that and
1: set in like san francisco or something and it's a drama so it's not like there's any lightning or aliens or anything like that troll 2 is an 80s movie and, like, there are goblins, no trolls, actually, there are goblins, and, trolls, actually, but there are goblins <laughs> and, and lightning special effects and, like, all kinds of goofy stuff going on. Like, it's a sort
0: of fairy tale um, uh, origin, almost. Like, yeah, like a, a book Celtic like, yeah. <laughs> mystery sort of feel,
1: stonehenge So funny. And, yeah, it's really strange. And so it, it's got that going for it. And, like you say, the cast is fantastic. Like, like really, they're...
0: Um, I mean, the director was some Italian even... that didn't speak English and, and arrogant yeah. and insisted on this being the way teenagers talked when they don't talk that way, that sort of stuff. <laughs> um,
1: what a wonderful movie. And the special effects were, were poor. The costumes were really poor. That one troll's, or that one goblin's face just cracks
0: me up every uh, time. Just a mask, like a, a strange mask. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh, it's an excellent movie. Oh, man. Yep well uh wh- one other thing that um that I think is interesting anyway, and one thing that I really love about our b movie hobby is kind of the uh the tradition that we've built around it like whenever we whenever we get together, we have a stack of b movies to choose from Correct. Uh, to watch, and we have uh like we've developed this choosing ceremony that we have it's a complete uh,
0: farce it's ridiculous, I love it so much we treat it sacredly, but it is it is. <laughs>
1: It doesn't make any sense, I (laughs) guess. Essentially,
0: you hide these movies behind... Or or you select different objects to represent the movie. And then I get to select the object. And then we're going to watch that movie. But you pick no relationship between the item, whether it's a salt shaker or a a coaster or a fork. Or uh, it could be the whole coffee table. I don't know. And then I will reason through the process and to go well i don't really feel like put my feet on the coffee table so i'm going to nix that one and just just stupid <laughs> reasoning through right it. i
1: mean it would be just as easy to you know pick a number Randomly between 1 and select whatever it right. you just
0: grab one out of the pile but i don't know like
1: well and you know back in the day when we only had you know 3 movies to choose from it was really simple but now like our our unwatched stack is something like 25 b-movies so it gets a little bit unwieldy trying to find 25 objects to represent the movies
0: <laughs> i like that we actually use dvds like that's an increasingly antiquated means to watch a movie you know everything's all digital these days and so well, actually we have dvds
1: well yeah that's a little unusual but but that same thought makes me i mean it kind of makes me think i wonder how many amazing b-movies are stranded on vhs
0: I know, well, I'm wondering because if, let's say, 15 years from now, virtually no DVDs or the ones that were converted are kind of dying, um, mm. yeah, a lot will get digitized, but a lot will get lost to DVD. So I'm sure there was a jump from VHS to DVD where we lost so many fantastic films.
1: Right. And In the future, we'll all be watching our hover discs yeah, and on our hover TVs sitting on the hover couch and we won't have any dvd players anymore
0: i'll be eating food out of my tinfoil hat hat (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna say tinfoil food out of my tinfoil eating my tinfoil vegetables
1: and one thing i wish we had started doing earlier was keeping the b-movie compendium really early on like we have this uh this big document where every time we watch a B movie we you know, we list like the cover of the movie and its tagline and then a short description of the movie and some the most memorable scenes and quotes. Then we rate it out of ten, just so that we know what the best B movies were. But I mean we've how long have we been watching B movies now?
0: Probably since we were I mean it's probably
1: I mean it's probably ten years, right? Maybe longer. More.
0: No longer. I would say it was I mean, was this not late high school or was it college? I don't know. I mean, I think it when, was late high school.
1: I think so. Well, I mean, what were some of the first... I remember... I think We were renting from we watched,
0: Blockbuster. I think... Were yeah. we renting VHS from Block? No, no, we weren't. No, we were renting DVD right. we're from DVDs. Blockbuster.
1: What, did we watch Man-Skito or yeah, Mosquito- there was Mansquito or Mosquito and Ice Man. I think
0: we rented Ice Spiders. Ice
1: Spiders was a little later, but I'm yeah, we did not rent that one. We still rented it from r-
0: Blockbuster after about a year or two of B-movies. Seeing it, yeah. So, and, and there was some sort of dueling... It wasn't called Dueling Dragons. I shouldn't have even said that. But there is a was drag. D,
1: D, D Day? D. D Wars. A-
0: D Wars. That's it. D yeah, Wars. I'm pretty it. sure D Wars. Anyway. That one wasn't that good. No, there was a lot of sci fi. When yeah, we were trying to understand our. Because our a, a what mammoth we were looking with that for. title
1: screen music.
0: God. Oh, you love that title screen music! Man, we had mammoth. really good title should, screen music. We should we should have a little ceremony, um, and and at the end of the year, like we should measure what we do. Like of 2019, the B movies that we watched, and have a little award ceremony, and give like a <laughs> worst, best actor or worst actor or however we want to do it. That I that I would really be hard. Like that, idea. that would be
1: hard though, because we forget at least i forget a lot of them really quickly but that's
0: the thing as we watch them and we fill out the b movie compendium we start doing nominees uh if there's a nominee worthy and so like it basically rolls into our the b movie compendium so right afterward you go all right after we hit those major talking points you know quotes and memorable scenes and we say any nominees and then we can look at the nominees at the end of the year and Mm. uh and do that that's that could, not that, that could, hard actually I think yeah it's not so. that
1: hard and you could always control F the uh, the year end. and I
0: really want to rent tuxedos I really want to rent tuxedos and get print some or get some uh, trophies or not trophies uh, awards but like I guess we could go to a trophy place um, and then invite the, uh, the actual actors
1: yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 let's let's do that yeah yeah I love it I love it that sounds good man B-movies are great yes they are um I have another uh interesting topic that I wanted to ask you about. Um how how important is your uh is your significant lover's fashion to you? <laughs> like if you have I know at the moment you have a significant lover, but
0: I do have a significant lover. <laughs> how
1: how important like how important should it how important should uh that person's fashion be? Well to let's you?
0: I guess it's hard not to start concrete with what I'm, what what and who I'm working with, and then but move more abstractly. Um, so well,
1: like I mean, I, I, you don't have to talk about your relationship in particular, but like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of looking for an abstract. Like, for example, you know, like, um, I mean, do you have any standards uh, for what your what your girlfriend wears, or is, is you know, as far as you're concerned, she can wear whatever she wants, or
0: um, for I mean with Okay, I guess I guess there has to be a standard because I'd be lying if if she just shaved her head and did some body mods and came home with wearing just something hideous by my standards I suppose, but like almost universally hideous and was sort of testing the waters, like would I well, I'd be upset if she shaved her head or or you know presented herself in some way that was just so counter to what, you know, is familiar or attractive to me. So mm-hmm. Um I would say I'm not uptight, so I don't care if you're like trendy and fashionable or like like hippie or um if you generally while we're hanging out and we're not going anywhere fancy if you want to wear just comfortable kind of baggy clothes i mean all none of that uh registers i mean if it brings her joy and you know. It's not affecting my wallet personally or impacting me negatively that way. Like, and I'm assuming we're not getting into the finance, like that sort of thing. So um, maybe that, I, mean, I mean, maybe. What if what if what, you if, you what
1: if she was had really expensive tastes in clothes, and you know was you know always buying the most expensive things and that's, that's a good asking question. for expensive clothes as gifts, you know, for Christmas and birthday and all that stuff. Um, Just really, and and like out and about always noticed other people's fashion and commented on it. Not, not necessarily mean spiritedly, but just, you know, would always comment to you on, you know, how well people right. are So dressed. she's in
0: high, she, she buys the high fashion narrative and, and you, okay. So, uh, I'll say this quickly. I think that, uh, I get concerned when people want to outsource, uh, their identity or their interest in things. So, for instance, let's say I'm in a in, in college or a master's class or a doctoral class or whatever, and there's someone with a, a sleeve tattoo, like a crazy, wild-looking... It looks like there are stories behind that to, tattoo. Which means
1: they're a good guitarist. That's it what that probably means. It probably means
0: they're a good guitarist. Um, but if I were to talk to them and they were vapid, like they had nothing to say... And it seems that they got the tattoo as some sort of substitute for personality. I find I then judge the de- the the tattoos doubly. I, I kind of double down and go, "That's that's disgusting. Those tattoos disgust me." Mm-hmm. Um, if I end up talking to them and they're like, "Oh well, when I was in Japan, I got this tattoo. and When I was in Australia, like I I met this person who I had a really good relationship with, and we decided. I mean, there was this phrase they kept saying. They taught me this new way of life that, and so I got that here and I and like there was reason for it then i actually kind of admire the te- you didn't outsource your your interesting you just decided to display it and so uh the risk with the high fashion thing to me is that you're almost certainly outsourcing uh your i guess social uh hierarchy you know you're trying to gain some social status by displaying this sort just you know some cloth by that was sewn by some famous person and that that is really close to disgusting to me. Um, however, I, th- I think that uh, obviously high-end stuff is of high quality and tends to look really good and last a long time and um, if they weren't carried away I'm not inherently, bothered by i'm not inherently bothered i'm only bothered by the reasons i just outlined and so if she if she were to budget her own money it didn't affect me and she she decided to use her play money toward that i don't care how if that's her play money she can play with it buying silly purses and i mean i'm not gonna like if she's gonna demand i like Gucci purses. I mean, I just I, I don't care. It won't happen. I can't I can't fathom. Gucci that. baton. Gucci baton I baton <laughs> Can't stand um, those things. Yeah, they're so silly. Um There's GVs all over it. Um Yeah. So 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 I don't know. I, I'm not bothered. I'm only bothered to the extent. So what that about it could- the
1: uh what about the reverse? What if your girlfriend just really couldn't stand dressing up or whatever and just, you know, love sweatpants and, like, uh, holy T-shirts and stuff like that. And, like, even, you know, even if you were, like, going to the grocery store or, you know, you're going out to eat, but, you know, at kind of like a like a mid-tier restaurant or something, not like a nice restaurant if you're going to Chili's or something, and she was just like, you know, I'm just going to keep on sweatpants and T-shirt. And if, like, what would that bother
0: you? Um, at some point, possibly, because... I mean, I guess my answer is no. If you maintain a zest and zeal for life, and a a desire to go out and have adventures and be excited about it, and but so often when you're at least for me and and a lot of people I know, when it's like there's an excitement to go out, then then you you kind of have a set a a set of clothes that say that you're ready to go out to some degree uh that you don't wear Hmm. your raggedy t-shirt your your sunday cleaning t-shirt your laundry day t-shirt uh that and so um when you say those things like we're gonna go to a restaurant we're gonna go out and meet friends my my parents are coming over whatever if she's not dressing up and it's indicative of her just like you know I don't care attitude yeah, that's let's just let's
1: let's take that out of it let's say let's take let's in fact re-examine the expensive clothes taste and this one both with it's not a personality defect it's not you know my identity is in my clothes and therefore I'm buying expensive Gucci so Bouton it is not a psychological shoes.
0: extension it no not no, It literally is what we're it, take it at face value.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just that, like, that's what, for whatever reason she prefers to wear, like, maybe, you know, she, uh, um, you know, she, she thinks that the clothes are higher quality and so wants to wear nice, expensive clothes, or uh, on, on the other side, maybe she just doesn't, like, she doesn't see the need to go put on a bunch of clothes when you can just go whoop whoop and just have sweatpants. Oh, sorry, that's cleaning noise. That's
0: the cleaning noise. That's when not the can, getting dressed. When noise. you can just put on go
1: whoosh whoosh and
0: have your sweatpants and sweatshirt on. Let it be known yeah. that wearing sweatpants sounds like swoosh whoosh. <laughs> um okay I'll just I guess I have to back up then. So alright. So in this situation,
1: you know, say that uh, it's uh, it's Sunday afternoon and you and your girlfriend are going to go see a, a movie, and you've just been kind of lazing around the house um, so far in the day and, you know, kind of wearing pajamas. She's got sweatpants and, you know, a T-shirt with, like, some holes in it. Not not indecent, but, uh, you know, like, just old raggedy clothes. And you say, let's go see a movie. All right. And then she just kind of, like, puts on some Crocs and is ready to go. <laughs> Crocs? Like, Are you just, like... Are well, you like, oh, well, all right, I guess so. Well, and then ho- head out? Do you have no problem with that? Well,
0: hold on one second because I'm caught up on the holes thing. Can, is there a difference between a raggedy, old, um, threadbare, and faded? I, I distinguish between that and then freaking holes in it. Because so, one,
1: I don't know, look, one hole in the shoulder where the hanger has okay, kind of yeah, worn, yeah. not tiny, like an inch big hole.
0: Oh, see? Pretty noticeable. I- I'm all, you, but just
1: where the hanger was ha- hanging right there. But it's just a real comfy
0: t-shirt. So you, know? you might uncover something about my personality here because threadbare, raggedy. has been in the wash, got some bleach stains over the years. Like whatever. It's maybe, maybe even slightly frayed. I can get behind when there's a hole that's more than a like a pin big. I'm like. I get I get that agitates me like I'll I'll tease you or anyone I'll be like oh nice nice hole like like uh like you're wearing holes in your freaking clothes I mean not if you're uh, lounging around the house but if you're going into public what are you, you're wearing holes like that it, it is now a falling apart like it's literally is in the process of un hemming and un- itself like it's I mean all of your shirts new...
1: already have you know they have holes for your neck and your, <laughs> Stop, your arms and stuff so but what's the difference of having one more hole functional really? like, holes still, it still covers your body Functional
0: holes like oh, whatever I mean and, as, incidental it's still, holes it's still
1: you know? serving its purpose for the most part even uh, with the little uh, inch wide hole in <laughs> that's
0: so annoying but I don't know like it's I, still, it oh, it still like, it's still a functional device you're right um, I'm just saying that that, um okay why is it that if i had a dress shirt with a one inch hole in it i'm probably tossing it because i'm not wearing it to work whereas if i have this 15 year old t-shirt with a hole in it i'm I'm keeping it you know it's because i'm not wearing the t-shirt out to to a fancy place so um so I don't want to get hung up on those two distinctions, but uh, I guess I can't measure any one moment. Like her wearing a t-shirt like that out to a movie does not bother me, but if it was habitual and she never got dressed up, um, it does bother me. And maybe I'm assigning that psychological extension that you've asked me not to, but uh, I can't help but just if you were just never uh, presenting yourself um, considerately almost, that would just get under my skin. I'd be like, look, you, the reality is people and girls especially like to doll themselves up for a reason. And it's because they see themselves as looking better. And they often do look better when they put on the nice clothes and they do the makeup but the what way if, they uh, like it. But what if she whatever. doesn't think
1: that way? What if she thinks, what if like, you know, you, she knows that you find her attractive and that... You know, you find her attractive in a sweatshirt or not, you know, or dressed up. So why, you know, she's only trying to please you. So why, why get I dressed guess,
0: up for other people? I guess in relationships, you need to be active. Like, like it's an active thing to be in a relationship. It's, it's the reason you don't just say, I love you once and go, well, I mean, she's I told you. She's going to the movies with you. Like she's excited
1: to go see the movie. And like, she's even, she might even buy you uh, a, a
0: some tinfoil of popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> This is in the future, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Again, one time, I'm really not gonna bat an eye. I might not even notice it the first time. It's just like, let's say we were cleaning. You know, we were cleaning mm-hmm. the apartment, and then we got done and like whew, high five. We high five each other and like go to the go to the movie. So, I so we find that kind of hard so, to believe.
1: Knowing you, it seems like you would be you would notice that like really
0: really quickly well, they're pro- I'm I'm a pretty particular person so I'd probably say if we decided let's go to the movies I'd, there'd be a discussion alright are we gonna go shower and get changed or what and if she said nah I'd say alright cool and and I really I mean cause I guess maybe movies is not a good idea, a good one because I don't mind sitting in a dark room by ourselves I don't feel like that's going out but yeah maybe if it was to go so what about going to Eaton at Chili's or something Chili's okay um yeah, I I need I one step up from Chili's and I start to go, oh, come on. If we're going to go spend that kind of money and, like, make it an event, like, there's something about I'm, – I'm not even – I don't even want to go – I would be almost annoyed without showering before if I've cleaned the apartment or whatever. I mean, what I mean is, like, if we're going to go do this uh, culinary experience at that point, let's, let's make the most of it. And for me, like, preparing yourself <laughs> – is, is, counts for something. Like, I'm going to get clean so I'm the most comfortable, but I'm also going to present myself in a way that is, um, uh, appealing. And, and well, what's and, so important about the
1: presentation at Chili's?
0: Um, well, I, at Chili's, I, again, I wouldn't mind if we just finished cleaning and we're in your raggedy clothes and you go, cause Chili's just is really like, not a culinary experience. I mean, so,
1: so I don't, I just don't really understand then. So like if you don't like, that's the thing, the important dynamic in the relationship is between you and her. And so if you don't care whether she's wearing raggedy clothes at Chili's, what's the difference between wearing raggedy clothes at Chili's and wearing raggedy clothes at somewhere, you know, one step nicer, like red lobster. um,
0: I guess you're, well, (laughs) I had to miss that. You said red lobster. (laughs) Uh, that's, Uh, that's debatable at best if not a step down uh, I'm not sure Um, the what you're essentially asking is when you do events together like and and I I consider I consider uh, Chili's almost a non-event I consider movies they're very fun but they're not there's nothing social outside of me and my partner you know um, mm. I don't know why but like, like, or if you go to somewhere that's a little pricier and you're going to probably get an appetizer and maybe a drink or something like that, you're going to drop some cash. It'll take a little while and order some craft wh- fill in the blank, um, <laughs> cheese. Yeah, Some craft cheese, craft <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheese plate. <laughs> mm.
1: Can I have some of your best craft cheese? Craft cheese plate. It just I want to unwrap them myself though. <laughs>
0: American, um, so I—I I guess I'm hung up on um, this sort of. Let's since the event is meaningful, uh, I want to—I want to what's a, show what's, that it's meaningful, and it's a display. Well, of, it's a way to display.
1: Why? It. Why? Why? Why are? Nicer clothes, a display of meaning. I get you right. Like, I mean, that... if it's comfortable and, you know, and like, again, like the the energy of the relationship is the same and the excitement for the event is the same. What what do the clothes have to do with you it? You
0: know what? I might be hung up on the fact that every girl I've ever dated and every girl I know – well, I shouldn't say every girl I know, but um, it is – inextricably linked to communicating that you are excited that you're happy that this is a big fun event that you care about the relationship it's weird to think that the way they're dressing is is folded into all, and it says that they care about themselves and the way they present themselves and all of these things that you know I think we should value I don't want to overvalue but I think we should value to some degree um, if I that the fact that if they never wanted to get dressed up um, it would just be it wouldn't be a, a a relationship destroying moment, but it would potentially be a suggestion that hey, I'm just not that excited. Now you're saying, forget about that. What if she is excited? What if she has all the enthusiasm? What if she is demonstrating her uh, care and all the other like all mm-hmm. other ways? Um, okay. And I guess if, but if she knows I enjoy the way she looks, then. I would think then, occasionally for me, she'd she'd do it, uh, and I guess then you could, I could reach a happy medium where like one out of ten times, or maybe like anniversaries when my parents come and when we go out with on a double date, maybe maybe it's a handful of times a year. Then she wears the shirt without the holes. She wears the shirt without the holes. God. The others, um, if she leaves the leave the Crocs at the door. If I really have no. Um, concern about her investment in the relationship investment in her own self and her self-care and me and all of the things if you really do take that out of the equation and i'm not concerned about that then uh yeah the handful of times a year uh i can live with
1: hmm, interesting so is there no component of being embarrassed in public by by her appearance
0: uh you know that's funny i, I imagine anyone listening would that would be on their mind the whole time and like just say it daniel be honest you're embarrassed and i promise you interestingly enough that and i even feel kind of proud that you asking that is the first time i've thought about it. and i'm not kidding and i'm you know so i'm just so mature and enlightened and so, a, above it all that uh right, right no uh uh so
1: if like so you know she's wearing her uh sweatpants and sweatshirt and you're eating you know this is you've already had your one out of ten times um that you've gone somewhere nice and this and this time you're eating somewhere above chili's tier uh yeah and so the
0: waiter is gonna notice the the waiter
1: notices and the table you know next to you kind of you know glances over there
0: like does this start
1: to bother you uh well, and you can pick up on social cues yeah, 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 and everything. Yeah. So when the waiter comes over, and you know he has the uh, the hand towel thrown over his arm, and he's like, mm-hmm, "Would you like any caviar?" And at <laughs> this, and kind one of one step looking, above looking, chili looking the, right? Caviar. A red lobster, The red lobster, looking down his nose at you. I, I suppose you won't sir. be having the caviar
0: today. Mm. That's what they say. Yeah, that's kind, that's what they say. Right. I assume right. you won't need the wine menu, or I. Oh god. No, um um I don't know why I chose wine as some highbrow thing. Uh Uh yes, that would embarrass me actually. Uh I mean it wouldn't devastate me and it wouldn't What a me... jerk. You're <laughs> such a jerk. Oh my gosh. You're so judgmental you and me. shallow. Is that what this whole thing was for? <laughs> no, uh I mean look, it's in the same way that people won't say this, but if you're, you know, if if your partner got fat and it's an uncomfortable truth and like and that you are you a fattest uh i'm i'm a i'm a healthy you're you're uh, a
1: fattest no what if what Uh, if she's trans fat (laughs) Sorry, I can't she make these jokes. As fat. <laughs> I can't make these jokes, can I? Yep. I can. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever.
0: No. I, well, I don't want to get into a big fat discussion or something, but and I don't want to sound a big fat a discussion. Big fat discussion. We're in a, we're in the middle of a big fat discussion, but but right, right, sure, but like appearances. Well, do are you asking me if appearances yeah. matter? The answer is yes, and and. Unhealthy, well, unkempt, so, un-whatever matter to some degree. But listen, so it's not
1: just about. It's not. I mean, no matter how hard we try, it can't be one hundred percent about the interact, the interaction between you and her. Like, you still have to interact with other people in the world. Yes, in some small way.
0: So, what messages is your relationship communicating to them, and how comfortable? To, like, does that make you, you know, or or that? Uh, so an interesting way to think about it.
1: So I guess by the same token, if she had a really tacky fashion sense in some way, it would kind of have the same, like you wouldn't care in some circumstances, but if she started to draw looks, then, then it would might be worth talking about.
0: Uh, potentially. Or like, yeah, say I have a, uh, it's my first year at a job and I'm taking her to the uh, holiday dinner that's our one fancy thing to do, and she's gonna meet my bosses and stuff for the first time, and I'm trying to you know make impressions with them and and she dresses absurdly like absurdly like I don't know is an over the top hippie right. with tons of like she just wears colorful like shot like i don't know just just absurd stuff everywhere and then she's going to wear all of that and it doesn't fit the occasion and that's kind of what you're saying wearing clothes that doesn't suit the the norm uh
1: you know those um those beach t-shirts that uh that they're kind of like oversized t-shirts but they have a ca- kind of a cartoony picture of a thin woman in a bikini <laughs> on them yes. and like a lot of times like old Old women or overweight people wear them, and it's kind of funny. Right? They think right. you know it's supposed to be funny. You see them in those kind of cheap beach stores. Yeah, yeah. What if your girlfriend really loved those shirts and just you know was it was in fine condition, no holes, so really nothing for you to complain about, but she just loved wearing. She had like five I of mean, those shirts God, a, and and the bikinis on the shirts were different colors,
0: and that part, that was her uh those were her go to t shirts part of the problem is that her <laughs> sense of humor is so terrible the situation <laughs> like that she loves or or she loves these like shirts I need to like, get Walmart one of those shirts. with the the i mean it's the same it's like your sense of humor is so terrible if you think that stuff is funny. I mean, you could say you're doing it ironically, and then maybe it does circle back and goes the whole way through, and it's funny. But uh, I'd like to get one. You, now, the bikini that I think about one it. or like the real yeah. six pack? No, the bikini one. The bikini <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> you know, in the same way we were talking about this in a different context the other day, it would be funny to basically flood Goodwill with those or give yeah. them out to the homeless yeah, or like, something. What are they I don't do? just, you know, like the homeless are never going away. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. We okay. might as and well they
0: need t-shirts. Yeah, we might as well, you know, make them interesting and give them bikini, cheap bikini beach t-shirts. Just make them something. At least, at least they'll give us something to look at. Is that the idea? Like might as well, Since yeah. they're an ISO, let's try to make them a little less of an ISO. God, that's so offensive sounding.
1: <laughs> no, well, I mean, uh, maybe look at it this way. Maybe it's attention grabbing. You know, people people a lot of times will ignore homeless people and try to pretend like they don't exist. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the problem people don't want to face. But... You know, if they're wearing a bikini beach t-shirt, then it's kind of hard to ignore that, right? Then m- I might even get them more money. Cuz you, you know, you notice and once you make eye contact, you know, they're like eyes up here, bub, and then you uh and then you're like, "Oh, all right, here's a dollar."
0: <laughs> this is so strange. Yeah, no, I guess. I I don't no, I, love I don't agree absurdity. at the <laughs> absurdity. I love the absurdity of the situation. You start a campaign on let's get all homeless. All eyes like, up here. Eyes <laughs> up
1: here. I don't know why I made him Australian.
0: <laughs> oh, uh so yeah, no, I don't really care what she wears, I guess. All right. Uh, so
1: by the flip on the, on the flip side, like what if what if she has demands on your fashion? Uh like how how much is too much?
0: Like um uh a uh, a little bit even gets into well, no, a little bit's fine. Uh, it can it would probably irritate me pretty quickly because, a, I care about what I wear and so I wear reasonable clothes for the setting. Um, B, I actually would inv- I invite a little bit of critique or what? In- what if
1: she you know what if she liked um, kind of skater clothes and that's just what she found really attractive and you know she would just kind of buy you skater clothes like skinny jeans and. Um, like, uh, this, this you yeah. know, particular kinds of t-shirts and stuff, uh, Man, it's, and kind of wanted you to wear that. Some of the wh- things wh-
0: you say are so, inc- I know it's, I know it's an easy thought experiment, but it's so inconceivable that I'm in a relationship that misreads me so deeply as to think I would like, it would hurt my heart that they're giving me this terrible gift because it'd be like, I don't know you is what it would say when I open it. Like it's hard not to interpret like, oh thanks to the <laughs> skinny jeans that I hate. Like like that's the sadness. Obviously the skinny jeans is another issue, but the I right. don't care.
1: Okay, then that's fair enough. So what if uh you know what if it was just kind of all right, I guess it's back to the um the uh sort of high high-dollar taste, and, you know, you were going out to eat at Chili's, and she was like, you're wearing that? And she wanted you to, you know, wear a sport coat and a tie to go out to eat.
0: sport coat. Basically any date you
1: go on, you know, she wants you to be
0: dressing up. Uh, I mean, I'd like to even get dressed up when we go out, but um, uh, no, I don't – I would not like her – if she were – if there was a consistent undermining or suggesting or just – essentially not being um or being critical of what i'm wearing when i'm wearing it uh yes that would irritate me pretty quickly and i'd say back off because i think i dress within the realm of acceptability almost always um now i would if we're out shopping i'd say what do you think of this shirt and i would get her take on it and i would value that um and and i've and I find interestingly enough, I wonder of all the problems that plague relationships, I wonder if this is one that doesn't arrive too ter- uh, like arise too terribly much because you, you you in terms of thinking and behaving similarly, I I bet people dress dress up similarly, like I I would suspect and predict that people pair together that have similar values that create a situation where they go, yeah, let's get dressed up, and they both agree, or let's not get dressed up, and they, they both agree. Now, it's easy to see this sort of fuddy-duddy guy who doesn't want to get dressed up, and the girl's like, oh, come on. I mean, that's that's almost a stereotype type thing, but mm. I I think that that's surface level. And, yeah,
1: I tend to think you're probably, probably right. I mean, most people are you know, within generally the same bounds anyway. In fact, like when I, when I think about all the people I've ever met, like I can't even conjure to mind anyone who cared all that much about fashion and brands and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, at least enough to have demands on the people around them. So I uh, guess, and, and I similarly can't think of anyone who would just be going out to eat in s- sweatpants and sweatshirts and stuff.
0: I mean, I, it, I guess it happens. It's just. It does weird. happen, but like with people like that much. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's all types mm. of people out there. I don't know. Um,
1: well, uh, <laughs> uh, I had another thing that I was thinking about the <laughs> other day, and I think it's something we've talked about before. But have you ever heard of aphantasia?
0: Um. Yeah. Is that the so? It's all the this is something Disney that you'll movies know, you'll and know the about. characters singing or like, not singing, but like instrumental. Wait, what?
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. No, They play music
0: and the. Fan, fan... No. 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 You're thinking of. Uh, Fant- you're
1: thinking of the movie with
0: um Don or whatever. Fantasia. Fantasia i don't know aphantasia uh does that aphantasia. have to do a memory you know loss no what is it nope it
1: is when you can't visualize when you're reading like you can't you have no visual interesting ability i've heard a few people and we've, so I, ugh, yeah. we, we've talked about this briefly before in the context of of your classroom your kids reading a book but like aphantasia is when you when you can't do it so i guess first off i should ask do you do you visualize what you're reading? If you're reading a a novel and it's describing a scene, do you picture it in your head? Um,
0: not only is the answer yes, but I do not know how to operate otherwise. Meaning if you if you start describing a scene and, and it's a it's a picture of a picnic. I mean when I was talking screen. about
1: your girlfriend wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts and holy t-shirts, you had a picture in your head like you knew what you were what you were looking at there
0: um yes i mean it is a weird blend of abstract and concrete so you you conjure up these concrete visuals in your head and then you but also you're intellectually discussing like philosophy and all of that so you don't visualize philosophy uh like morals you don't visualize but well sure but like
1: when you're talking about well anyway when i was talking about it i had a picture in my head of what i was thinking and the short answer is yes yeah so, but for reading a book, it's even mo- even more prominent, at least to me. Like when I read a book, it's it's a continual barrage of visuals, of and course I'm, just, it is, yeah. I'm always picturing the setting and what's going on. And like that's actually one of my favorite things about reading books is picturing the the settings.
0: Um, if the book's a narrative and it's not a self help and it's not a historical, even if it is sure, historical, sure. what what else is there to do other than visualize? If they say there's a vast green hill, and on the hill is a you know a, a black stood a black figure. And like what what else are you supposed to do? I, well, you I... you understand conceptually
1: that you know that there's a hill. That means that you know the character is outside, and you know the landscape is not obscured. And there's there's a guy standing over there. But everything and you're swearing saying... black.
0: The guy, the landscape is not... I know, I know,
1: it conjures visuals to me, but apparently there are people out there who do not have this visual.
0: And I'm not trying to be hard-headed here. I just... I don't... I'm afraid I'm reaching some sort of end of understanding because what does it mean to say... If you read a passage that says imagine a guy standing on a hill or there is a guy standing on a hill... I mean,
1: well, I mean, maybe you, you could conce- think about I, the I, I know the words
0: the conceptually understand. I know you've said that to conceptually understand there is one. They're just not visualizing one, but they're thinking of one. They're not visualizing I mean, maybe one, but they're, they're thinking of one. Like, what
1: the hell do you mean? <laughs> uh, well, maybe they're, you know, recalling times that they've stood on a hill and, like, there you go. Like, or, I mean,. Like, I mean, I'm surely a book could describe some things that don't conjure up a visual picture. Um, This is called Aphantasia,
0: by the way. Aphantasia. And this is not just reading? Does it also mean, like, if I said, oh, do you want pizza or hamburgers? And then what people would do is they'd imagine what pizza would be like, and does pizza sound good? And hamburgers, they'd visualize the hamburger. Does that sound good? But if you say this to someone with Aphantasia, are they just unable to assess their sort of needs as well because they can't no okay
1: they they know what a hamburger and what pizza is because presumably they've had it before but they can't picture it i don't think they just or maybe with effort i'm sure it's not well i don't i
0: don't know i don't have it so i'm not sure Well, like is life more surprising like oh yeah that's what it oh
1: that's (laughs) what a pizza is i mean i knew it was i remember this i knew it and
0: i understand it and i remember and there's no issue but i can't out of sight out of Visual mind, like I don't. What does thinking, if if visuals aren't entering into the thought process, I guess thinking is this sort of mysterious thing. Well, surely a blind
1: person can still think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I guess a lot of my thoughts aren't visual either. Like when I'm wrestling, my frustration and my um, is not. I'm not. I guess I'm not visualizing the fan, the person with aphantasia. So <coughs> I don't know how to step in their shoes. I suppose, and that's. I like. I almost is that a
1: uh, is that a pretty big blind spot for a teacher?
0: Maybe. I mean, I cherish the ability to be empathetic and to at least conceptualize what it's like to be someone who I. I can believe mm-hmm. it or not. I, I, I have no way of verifying this, but I can. I can sort of imagine what having dyslexia is like. I can imagine looking at some words and them feeling jumbled. Like all of that's not difficult for me to conceptualize. But what you're describing, uh, I can't begin to... I, I have a feeling if you were, to, if we could have someone on with aphantasia, a they would offer terms like you're saying. Like, well, I can't visualize it, but I can intellectually conceptualize. And I'm like, what... What does that mean? What do you mean? Is there, is there
1: any part of you that suspects that maybe it's not a real the, thing? Or oh, that it's they like, just they just don't have the vocabulary to express what? pop poss- you know, when they visualize, or maybe maybe they don't understand people when they talk about visualization. Yes,
0: that we are we are butting up against um, language issues and not uh, thought issues, but the relationship between thoughts and language are fascinating so you know how much does language shape thought and thought shape language and so i do sus. well i don't suspect it i just think it's equally probable because if they sat here and could not t- or they could not describe it in a way that i could uh I guess conceptualize or visualize. Oh, you know, a
1: pizza has a cr- has crust. Yeah, they would say all the things that we would say. And so, sauce, there's, so there's no pepperoni. intellectual
0: gap there. So intellectual gaps, you can start to, you know, you can just understand because you can kind of t- you have if, if presumably you have the intellectual mapping. You see a kid who tends to skip over words or get the ends and the and the U's confused or whatever. Uh, or just gets mixed. Up. You can you can imagine what it's like to look at words and then start to feel a little overwhelmed. Or if you've ever been tired and you just are a little slower reading, mm-hmm. like all of these things, you can kind of subtract some intelligence. I don't want to say it. That's so simple and not accurate, even. But you can subtract some of your abilities, um, and and you can then understand. Um, or you can imagine being a speed reader, even if you're not right. Like it's easy to uh, Mm -hmm. imagine having a more, you could be able to to take it in faster. Um, but, but. All right. So, all right. I, I, so I
1: originally wasn't, I just discovered aphantasia when I was, when I was reading about this. Uh, that's not, I think, I think it's fascinating because well, it's very foreign to me as it seems to be to you. Um, but but, because neither of us have that, and we can't really speculate that much on it except to think, "Whoa, that's crazy! Let's talk about about visualization so we can we both have that experience, yes, um and particularly when reading um do you do you think that the ability to visualize or when you're reading, if it's a book that really calls up lots of visuals,
0: do you think that contributes to memory um, yes, um Yes. Well, I I when when a kid comes to me and says, like they fail a quiz, a little reading quiz, a comprehension check, and they and I say, well, what happened? They'll either admit to not reading closely or whatever, and I, and I so my my advice tends to be slow down, visualize, and the moments you are you're having trouble visualizing. That's where you're maybe not reading close enough. If at any given point, you can stop yourself and go, "I can't visualize what's going on right now, then then you're not reading closely enough. And when you do have those visuals, then you can access, yeah, there's some sort of link if you can attach the visual to your memory that it's, you know, it's like easier to retrieve or recall. In the same way that we are, we are we're visual creatures. I think we're spatial creatures. Like you can remember where you sat in a restaurant, oftentimes, right? Um, Oh,
1: that's yeah, that's one of my superpowers. Yeah, and I think I should add it. I ought to add it to the list. You might want to choose that for one of the
0: superpowers. (laughs) I think I think people. I mean, you are good at it, and I think you're probably above average at it. But I think most people are unusually perceptive at where they sat. If you said, "Well, where did you sit here?" If if someone sat there twenty years ago and it was laid out the same way. And when they walk into that restaurant, I think it's, you know, not it wouldn't be an incredible coincidence that they could remember where they sat. So, Mm -hmm. but if someone, if a kid were to come to me and say, hey, I don't know how, or I failed this quiz, what do I do? Um, I... I don't know what I would do if they had a fantasia. I would. I'd, I don't know how I'd say. Well, you've got to make sure you're visualizing because I'm essentially saying you've got to make sure that you can understand and structure the universe you're reading.
1: Right. Hmm. Well, I know. I know that when I read, well, we've talked about this before as well. Like for whatever reason, my brain. Just dumps all the information about books that, you know, if I read a book series, even if I love the book series and I'm reading it for months, it's a really long series, like pretty shortly after I finish, that's gone from my brain. Like I couldn't recount the names of primary characters, uh, major plot points, like all of it just goes really quickly. But what sticks around are the visuals that I create some of them the very strong ones uh stick in my head uh for whatever reason and so like you know the books that i read in high school i, f- I hardly remember at all but like i remember the yellow car from uh the great gatsby
0: the and, yeah, yeah, yeah and the mansion and itself i yeah. i don't
1: remember the man i don't remember anything about that but i remember the yellow car that's what i remember and i remember an image of like an um of my and men of the two main characters like for whatever reason i just have an image of them in like some grassy area i don't know why that's the image i don't re- even remember the story really yeah but george um, yeah yeah i remember that and um like i had to read sh- i can't even remember the book's name anymore some stupid book by what was it about it was some stupid girly book by like Charlotte Bronte or something. What were some of her the books? Awakening. I did have to read that, but I don't remember that that's one Kate at all. God, there was a, there was another one that was longer. What was it? It was really, really not good. Oh god! See, I don't remember it. I don't remember, but it, it, I remember uh, an image of this like old like eighteen hundreds era woman wearing a stupid dress like. Standing below, uh, like uh, the attic or something like that. Like there was something about the attic. And anyway, I have the, this image of her in the hallway underneath the ceiling that was like wood, and the attic is up there. Whatever for whatever reason, I can just remember these slight scenes, these glimpses of whatever my brain conjured up from this book, uh, and I can remember it years later, even though I can't remember the author, title, characters, anything, quotes,
0: plot points, all of that fades Nothing. away. Nothing. Yeah.
1: Like all of that is gone. But some of these visuals are still there.
0: Yeah, that does. I mean, that speaks to the power of the visual. I mean, you hear things like uh, smell is the sense most tied to memory. But I suspect... Eh, Yeah, I'm not convinced on that one. I don't know what evidence they mean. I mean, I understand that once you have a a smell profile, that that can take you back intensely. But, I mean, we are... we learn primarily through visuals. We, I mean, when I say learn, I mean, we navigate the world through visuals. L- that's losing that sense would be the most difficult. I mean, I guess you could argue, but it's arguably the most difficult to lose um, because right. we take in so much information.
1: Well, so. and yeah, and we communicate concepts visually as well. Like, I mean, there are, uh, the concepts you can convey by smell are few and far between, but like, if you see a visual, like, you can. You can have a picture of, you know, a person's angry face or, or, you know, some words on a page. Like all of this is visual information being conveyed, but, you know, a smell,
0: like what does that really convey? Right. Right. uh, It's, it's coded in us deeply. So I don't know what it means to not visualize.
1: Hmm. Have you ever had the experience of uh, reading, reading a book and, you know, building your visuals or whatever and then watching a movie based on the book, and uh, is there any clash there between? I think inevitably, what you inevitably
0: there's clash, and I think that's why that is the primary reason why fans of the book um, will say that the the book's better. Uh, that, I mean, that's the common mantra: uh, the book is better because no no actual visuals can compete with hypothetical visuals that you know are a little more fluid and can mold and be fantastical and whimsical so like it's kind of like when when dreams or, or fantasies become reality they cease being the fantasy because now it's a reality um when you have conceptualizations of characters or far off lands or whatever, they become films, even if they do it a great job and are close to what you had, it's there is, there's just disappointment in the actualization process, I think, because now you have it and now you can critique it. There's something interesting when you're visualizing, it kind of evades critique because you're not at all times picturing all things about that, character or that land and so it can change a little bit and you not even notice it because you're not physically looking at something your your conceptualization can change and and it's it's dreamlike and uh and it just it sustains in the way that dream logic can get by with a lot more because it doesn't have to be completely logical Um, i think i think visuals uh or or in our heads can get by with a lot more than the actual thing itself.
1: Well, I definitely agree with you there. Um, Do you think that, uh, well, I mean, there's something to be said for a movie and based on the ability of the creators of the movie, they can show you amazing things that your imagination might not have been able to conjure, especially if you're not a very creative or imaginative person. Yeah. Um, Do you think that, Well, have you ever had the experience of reading a book and watching a movie and then you come away thinking the movie was better?
0: Um, One case I can think of, and it's probably an unpopular opinion, but that was Hunger Games. Um, Hunger Games, the movie... Well, I thought the the narrative of the book was actually so simple and straightforward um, and they complicated it in the movie. Which is very rare. Usually it's the reverse. Usually it's... um, Oh, yeah.
1: It's almost always, like, they have to cut. Well, I mean, because a book is a a long experience, you know? It takes you you a while to read, usually more than the runtime of a movie. Right.
0: And I don't know that that's true for Hunger Games. I mean, I'm not here to dump on it. I just remember that the narrative was straightforward, fairly simplistic, and from uh, the protagonist's view, Katniss's view... Primarily the whole time, um, and the movie decides to jump around a bit more and, and show how people in the Capitol or, or how people her family watching it. It could do a cut. It could do quick things to cue us in that the book either chose not to or didn't think to do. Well, I don't know. Um, so the book, I think, books always have the capacity to do it. More, I think if you think of writing as, and this is again, the visual discussion we're having is like you are in control of the camera. And the good thing about a book is you can start discussing uh, someone, maybe clenching their hands or tapping their foot. But if in a movie you were to just zoom in on the hands or zoom in on the foot every time you wanted to talk or get them to notice, um, there's almost too much visual stimuli on a screen. You want to show someone nervously mm. tapping their foot you'd have them doing it but the thing is there might be tons of other things going on and your viewers don't see it but as a writer you can insist they see it because they're reading the sentence he's tapping his foot that's hard to look away from
1: that's a good point i imagine it's a pretty I imagine there are different skill sets um like you know writing a novelization for a movie or adapting a movie from a novel uh well because you can imagine it as you know, you either have to generalize or specialize, depending on which way you're going. If you're going from a book to a movie, then you know the book, like you say, can zoom in on the character, you know, tensing his muscles or tapping his foot. But in the movie, like that's pretty hard to notice. I mean, sure, sure you can frame a shot to capture that really blatantly, but in, but you would more likely try to have the actor you know live in that role and portray nervousness or whatever the case right. may be in a different way like you have to get creative generalize to what other traits to, you know do you show when you're nervous and then put those in the movie. exactly
0: and that's a major um you've got to keep in mind that films are always adaptations of the books they are not the books themselves and so you can't when when, when there's fans of a book there are fans for millions of different reasons and there's Every sentence, every line, some of the words, some of the words that we fall in love with, like a, a poetic description of a relationship or some sort of uh, meaning in a word that resonates with you and it hits you at a particular moment, it's just absent in the movie. Maybe maybe for some reason this character taps his foot a lot again and in the book you, you tap your foot a lot and that hits you hard and makes you identify with the characters, but they but they decide in the movie to make him do something different because it fits the narrative a little better. It's cleaner. It's more visual. It's easier to see. And then you're ticked off because you loved the foot tapping, you know? And so, (laughs) so that, but I mean, that's obviously a silly little reason, but but if if you multiply that by the hundreds of inevitable changes and cut downs and cutbacks and taking out this little plot line and this little character that didn't matter or in, in the grand scheme of things, um, you're You're having to make decisions that you know without considering the fan essentially so
1: there's also the interesting question of what do you do with the voice in the book like the imagine novelizations of movies struggle with voice and and tone because you know some of the most special books have very the the authors have a particular way of making the words flow onto the page uh, and the structure of the sentences is you know really interesting and catching, and maybe it's a very beautifully arranged, or maybe it's very simple and to the point, whatever the case, like there's an art to how you put the words on the page, whereas if you're writing a book based on a movie i I would think it would be harder to imbue that with your particular voice because
0: you're having to you know fill the book with the scenes from the movie well I think you're right because um it's inevitable that you have a narrator in a book, right in the sense that. I mean, it could be third person omniscient, and just and and it can be first person. It can be a lot of different things, but you have you have someone that like is leading the charge. You're in their hands, and they are saying they're providing the words to you, and that's like the deal when you open a book that a speaker is saying something to you now it might not that speaker might not ever acknowledge him or herself um but it doesn't matter inevitably there's an angle or a personality or a flavor that can leap off of the page in a movie um that that's not existent. i mean there is a you you can do things through other mediums like What camera angles are you going to get uh, quirky, like, overhead shots? Or or what color palette or scheme or whatever are we going to get? Like, lots of Mm -hmm. different ways that way. But that is, I think we are coded by our language. I think we are influenced and we communicate uh, largely through language. I mean, I know that, like, people say, oh, well, you know, communication is only, like, a third language. But, I mean... Yeah, there's tone and there's lots of other things, but but a book is complete language, and then and that's its strength and its weakness. Whereas a a movie is the language plus so much more, but it can't mm-hmm. speak to you. To your point, it can't speak to you directly. I mean, you can do voiceover and lots of other things, but you you have to do multiple things in a movie. You have to marry. Uh, the visual images and the colors and the people in the movie you have to marry it all whereas a narrator comes much more unified and compact and like here i'm going to give you the flavor myself right well then also in a book too like
1: the special thing about a book is that well again and this ties back into visualization is that the book is simply words on the page and yet it's conveying ideas and concepts but you have to have preconceived notions of what those concepts are already like the person reading the book actually brings a lot to the book because the concepts that the book conveys the the reader has to have some understanding of what those are and ideally some experience with those as well so that the book resonates
0: right right um
1: and and that whereas a movie look, a movie you can watch pretty passively uh, and the movie can just kind of happen. But in a book, you have to bring something to the table as well.
0: Well, yeah, and to that end, I mean, you can't daydream and watch a movie, a book or read a book because you'll either – your eyes are just going over the words and you're not taking it in or your eyes stop going over the words and you, you're not doing anything. You're just staring at a piece of paper, whereas a, a TV show or a movie is – and they know this. they're 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 happening regardless of whether you're paying attention. So then the question becomes – from a director's standpoint, is, well, we need to have many invitations to come back and join us. Like, if, if you were zoned out here, here's the next action scene to invite you in. If you were zoned out here, change scene, change the colors, change the noise, change the characters. Um, books, like, you kind like, of, you, you can't zone out. Uh, it demands mm-hmm. your attention the whole time. Do you think that's the
1: reason for... For so many jump cuts and stuff in movies to kind of keep—I don't know—keep your invite attention, the reader or invite in the way. viewer
0: back in. Um, yeah. Actually, it's a pretty good theory. Uh,
1: yeah, and I this when I was uh, when I was home over Christmas. Uh, you know, I hardly ever watch TV anymore. Like, I mean, I I don't even have Netflix at the moment and haven't for a few months. Like, I just don't don't watch TV. I definitely don't watch cable. But when I was home, my parents always had the TV on and were watching things. My mom likes to watch stupid cooking shows and yeah. crap competitions. You know, like the next top child baker <laughs> top something. Child like, next they have really baker. ridiculous shows. But I was sitting and I was trying to watch uh, a little bit of that. and And even in the great next... So you want to be the next top child baker star. <laughs> like, even in that show... Like there were no, there were no scenes that were longer than maybe four seconds, four or five seconds. It was just cut after cut after cut, back and forth between the child and the judges and the spatula, just the scraping in the pan, and then back to the judge. And like then it was, it was, I, I couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't do. I couldn't take much of it. It was just too overwhelming. The jump cuts were so fast.
0: And imagine what that's doing to. I mean, when you get desensitized to it, to to your attention span. I mean, it's good that you felt overwhelmed, but if you've adapted to it, then how slow would would something that didn't change a lot, like the, how slow would it feel? You know, I
1: I wonder. Like, does that make you like when you're out and about in the real world, and like say you're you know sitting on the bus or on in a plane or something? Does I. Does that just make your surroundings just unbearably boring?
0: I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I I certainly think, I mean, ADD is practically an epidemic, so uh, I do think that it is contributing to attention deficit. Um, I don't know if it would contribute... Like we, have, what does it do to our psyches and our happiness and our ability to kind of full circle back, be present and not want to just jump around and do different things and need different stimuli and all of that? Like, like it's weird to think that jump cuts have maybe have increased or had some influence on the opioid epidemic, you know, (laughs) like, like we need
1: weird. Yeah. What a strange connection that would be
0: (laughs) like people blame and we're not blaming the, the immorality, you know, we're not getting into like, Oh, it's all the sex and drugs and violence on TV. Like, no, no, no. We're saying no, it's the length of scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Weird.
1: Yeah. What a weird thought.
0: Well, length of scene and like, You know, it really does demand extreme... Like, that's what they're saying. Invite the reader in or invite the viewer in with jump cuts and just uh, shocking moments. It's shock and awe, shock and awe, and jump cuts. Uh, And jump cuts are just a cheap form to give you shock... Like, a very, very mild dose of shock and awe um, in a scene. Right. You know, so... -hmm. Oh, that's so strange to think about, but I, I... yeah. I, I definitely think it's affecting us. Uh, yeah. And, and then you take shows, uh, uh, Breaking Bad was notable to me because it would, it would linger. I admired show. Mm-hmm. I admire shows that have the, almost the courage to buck the norm and linger and it can make you, it can increase tension and, and make you grow uncomfortable. Um, and I also think there's a backlash. All this, it's so produced. Everything is so produced that you have all these YouTube stars emerging and and kids are, are watching a lot of media, but they're watching um, kind of raw first take yeah. stuff. Uh, and these long form interviews are making a comeback. Like that's kind of the birthplace of this podcast. And, and so mm-hmm. um, I think people... I'd like to think we've reached a turning point basically do you
1: think why do you think that is like do you think that it's purely the change in technology has made people have this interest or do you think that there's some suspicion at edited footage or like what do you think is causing that
0: um, well I think a couple of things I think the marketplace uh, has Im- you know, expanded in the sense that it's invited. Anyone can produce anything. That doesn't mean you can produce quality or all the jump cuts or have all the angles or all the stuff, but you can produce anything. I think you do that combined with, uh, I think we're increasingly lonely in search for belonging and meaning. And we are doing that through a digital means now. So we're staying home. We're not going out as much. We're turning to digital media for entertainment and people are producing lots of stuff. So you're feeling lonely, you've watched 14 movies today like eh and then you you end up just kind of turning for a different form of digital entertainment. So you watch some YouTube videos, they're short and, you know, you don't have to invest a lot. And then you get to know a personality. Then you get to know someone and you almost you get a more relational they like you're these they watch these youtubers not because they're I, I mean dare i say their their product isn't that great but but that it's familiar, the sense of humor aligns with them, they see themselves they think I could know this guy, and I don't think that's why we used to watch t v is like oh i i I feel like I could sit on a couch and high five this guy <laughs> whatever it is friends do um but I think that it's. Yeah. That.
1: So it's not really. It's not really that people are suspicious, or maybe that's too, too tinged of a word. But they recognize that, for example, a sitcom is unreal. You know, it's not real. They can't really relate to the characters in a in a real way. But a YouTube personality, it's it is the real person just acting right in front of them with no editing. Like, yeah, I guess so it's, it's just it's kind sincere. of The next, the next step. Yes, it's it's the next step above like sitcom guy who, you know, was funny and, you know,
0: portraying, you know, funny anecdotes and stuff, but here it is, the real person on the YouTube. Yeah, video. it's more organic, it's sincere. So, I don't think people have stopped watching sitcoms, and that's that's why I think The Office remains popular particularly with teenagers and like my freshmen watch it, and that's peculiar to me that they love this show that hasn't been on the air for a number of years and is not targeted toward them yet they love it and I think they sincerely do so I think that people are still watching high highly produced sitcom type stuff but I think they just have expanded and they're also looking for you know uh, personalities that produce loads of content and just puts it out there and says you don't have to, like, if you're feeling tired, you might not watch an episode of The Office. Or if you're feeling, like, for me, it took me a while to get through Breaking Bad because it was such an investment to watch. I would almost feel guilty if I were tired. Like, I can't get up the intellectual energy to invest. But if you're just, like, basically hanging out with your friend, essentially, like, you, and you don't feel there's any demand on you intellectually, and you can just watch half the video and pause it, you know, and come back to it later. I think that it requires, that the the entry point is so low that they're possibly, like, uh, I'm just guessing here, like, falling asleep to videos. There's, like, a comfort in that, you know. There's, or or zoning out and having it playing while they're going and doing other things, too. So they're multitasking. Oh. They're, they're attention split anyway, so...
1: Well I definitely do that with like the uh preteen ASMR.
0: Yeah, I love that videos. preteen ASMR. Um
1: we should we should well, I guess we can't do well, we both know of it. That would be a re- that would have been a really good surprise for Bennett tries trending yes, or something like that. Yes, I wish it would I would have discovered been an excellent shot video.
0: You discovered it, but seeing your reaction as it unfolded would be uh oh, deeply rewarding. I can't imagine. <laughs> When you shared it with me, I actually even i was so weirded out by the video that I debated whether to show my girlfriend or not <laughs> did did you i did okay, and she was fascinated and disturbed by it as well so
1: right so the video we're talking about is i i think it gained some amount of popularity uh but it's some young girl. I was. She's what, like eleven or twelve years old, or something. Yeah, very young. Doing the ASMR, the whispery, clicky nails, apparently stuff. Uh, and it's like it's just it's strange because there are parts where she's like licking honey off of a spoon yeah, or I mean, something, day, and going, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of like disgusting saliva noises. And then there's a weird scene where she's like dressed up in a like a Halloween police officer's costume. Yeah, but it's clearly like it's a,
0: and this is the uncomfortable truth, but it's like designed it's, design, it's mildly, a sec, it's a sexy cop outfit. And then and she's yeah. suggesting she just has all this innuendo packed into it. And the whole thing is loaded. It is just it is it is sexual. And the whole time she's whispering. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not okay. And, and the, the video actually has commentary that that we watched saying, look how sexualized this is. Why do you think this has millions of views? This isn't because this girl can whisper so well. It's just... <laughs> and, and that's... It's this clear truth staring you in the face, this sexualized girl. And it's so uncomfortable. I mean, it is... Uh, and And so... If watching that, it'd be better not to find... Not the commentary of the guy saying, is it this weird? Because you kind of cling to that when you're watching the video. Like, thank God he's saying that, you know? Thank God someone's there to buffer this and say... But if I'd just shown you the video of her being sexual with...
1: I don't know if I could finish that video. It
0: would be so weird for me to even present to you. I wouldn't want that in my search history. Like, I I just... I I don't... (laughs) I don't like... I, th- that made me very uncomfortable so i wouldn't i wouldn't want to go find it just to read the comments now even just because again i don't it's not worth it to have it in my search history for me <laughs> so strange oh man oh huh. uh well i'm
1: uh i'm i'm wearing down here man yeah i am too Got ready to
0: bring it to an end for this one i think so i think it was a really good talk i enjoyed it
1: all right well then uh Let's let's do this again sometime. Let's
0: do that. Is that gonna be our ending where we kinda of just awkwardly trail off? We need a little doo 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 doo.